1 Kings 1, 1 through 10. Now King David was old and advanced in years, and although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Therefore his servants said to him, Let a young woman be sought for my lord, the king, and let her wait on the king and be in his service. Let her lie in your arms that my lord, the king, may be warm. So they sought for a beautiful young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to the king. The young woman was very beautiful and she was of service to the king and attended to him, but the king knew her not. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, Why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man, and he was born next after Absalom. He conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they followed Adonijah and helped him. But Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan the prophet, and Shimei and Rei, and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fattened cattle by the serpent stone, which is beside Enrogel. And he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the royal officials of Judah, but he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Benaiah, or the mighty men, or Solomon, his brother. Thanks, Brenda. Good job with all those big names, huh? Yeah, way to go. Way to go. Well, good morning. As you've heard, today we're starting a new series in the book of 1 Kings. But I want to just preface it by saying, why are we in the Old Testament at all. A lot of churches today really avoid the Old Testament. They may use it for a few illustrations, but to actually take books of the Bible and work through it from beginning to end doesn't happen a lot in churches today. Many avoid it. But I just want to say that we at Cole are committed to teach the whole counsel of God, as Paul says in Acts 20. And in fact, think about it, the Old Testament was the very Bible that Jesus and Paul and Peter and all the disciples used to get to know who God was, to understand him in his righteousness and holiness and in his love and grace and mercy, and to discover who Jesus is. As we know, Jesus taught the disciples on the road to Emmaus throughout the whole Testament about himself. And so it's a wonderful picture with often through story and poetry that helps us get to know the true God. So we're committed to teaching through the Old Testament, but why First Kings in particular? Well, our theme, as you have seen, is worship the true king. We think it's especially appropriate during an election year to think about who are we following, earthly kings or the true king? It's especially important that we look at our own hearts and consider the things that call for our allegiance, that call for us to worship them rather than God himself. And so 1 Kings is a wonderful book for that. Just to kind of set some context for us, First and Second Samuel was originally one book. 
And it was a book that really leads to the beginning of David's reign all the way to the very end of his reign. So we learn all about him in that book. For example, the people demanded a king. They weren't content to just follow the Lord, and so they wanted an earthly king like the nations around them, so they demanded a king. They got Saul, who didn't work out so well, and then David became their king, and he was a good king, but he had plenty of errors himself. And so God gave David the Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel 7, where In this Davidic covenant, God came and said, you aren't going to build me a temple, but in fact, I will build you a house, David, and one of your sons will reign on the throne forever. So as we go through the kings, every king was potentially the Messiah. But as we will see through the book of 1 Kings, every human king fails us. And so the whole book of 1 Kings points us to a deeper worship of Jesus a deeper focus on him, a a deeper calling of our hearts to have our whole allegiance, our whole hearts be wrapped up in who Jesus is, the one we are to worship and follow. So now, focus on 1 Kings chapter 1, which is our text for today. David is old. He's about to die. And so the question is, how will the kingdom get passed on from David to the next generation. I read just this week some of the writings of Cindy Brandt. She is a writer, a blogger. She's written a book on parenting that she's getting a lot of social media time these days, and uh, she sent out a tweet recently that got a lot of press. And this is what the text said, the tweet. Do not evangelize a child. Do not colonize a child's spirituality. Do not threaten a child with religious control. Your religion does not have a right to stake its claim to a child's allegiance. Choosing a religion is a human right for children, Brandt said. She pointed to the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child, which includes the right of the child to freedom of thought, conscience, and religion. That's She's just kind of clarifying the world's perspective this day, right? We don't have any right to have any influence on our children and their religious thinking. We need to let them choose for themselves. Well, this stands in exact contrast to what the Bible teaches, doesn't it? Deuteronomy chapter 6 makes it very clear what our calling is as parents, but also just simply in our relationships with one another. Deuteronomy 6 says this, Hear, O Israel, verse 4, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. In other words, give your full allegiance to him yourself. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk on the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, our whole lives and all we do are to be used to pass on the faith. Not just to our children, but to in every relationship that we have. Every person we come in contact with, our calling from God is to pass on the kingdom. 
pass on the truth to help others know him and worship the true king more and more deeply. We should be gossiping the gospel to everyone we meet. (laughs) So here in chapter 1, we'll see David as both a negative and a good example at various times about passing off the faith, on the faith, and we'll see some principles that will help us as we seek to do the same where we are to called to pass on the faith wherever God has placed us. It's one of the highest callings that we have as believers. So let's pray and we'll look at this passage together. Thank you, Lord, for this tremendous book that we're entering today. May you use it to take our worship back to you, that we might more fully worship you with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And today, as we think about passing on the faith, Lord, may you speak to us about what you are calling us to do as men and women, followers of you, in a world that is increasingly hostile to the gospel. May we be people who are passing on the faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first principle I want to highlight from this passage is that in passing on the faith, we are to be intentional. Be intentional. As you've heard, the beginning of the passage, David is old and advanced in years. He's he's basically crawled into his bed and is passive. Kind of given up on life. So his servants think, well, we'll we'll give him a beautiful woman. He can't keep warm. We'll give him a beautiful woman to try to create some excitement or some life in this guy. And it didn't work. No response. Then a little later on, as, as his son Adonijah is beginning to rebel, Nathan, verse 11, says to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king? And David, our Lord, doesn't know it. Now therefore, come, let me give you advice. And he gives her advice to go into King David and begin to awaken his mind because he doesn't have a clue what's going on. David's oblivious. He's done nothing to prepare the next king to pass on the kingdom. And yet, if you turn to 1 Corinthians Corinthians 28. I had to get the passage right. 1 Corinthians 28. David there, a parallel passage in a charge to Israel, says that God spoke to him and told him who was to be king. Verse 5. 1 Chronicles 28, 5. And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, It's Solomon, your son, who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever if he continues strong in keeping my commandments and my rules as he is today. You see, God has clearly chosen Solomon. He's spoken to David and said, David, Solomon's to be king. And yet, he's at a point in his life where he hasn't passed the kingdom on. He has done nothing. And the kingdom is being threatened as a result. I went and visited my grandma when she was 89 years old. My grandfather had passed away years before. And I knew that she had not given her heart over to Jesus, and I wanted to share the gospel with her at least one last time. And as I sat with her and we talked, and I talked about the 
God's love for her and his forgiveness of her, whatever she'd done, he had forgiven her and she could trust him for her eternal salvation. My grandma said, God can never forgive me. I said, why? Why do you say that? He said, well, your grandfather, when we got married, wanted to become a pastor. He wanted to serve God, and I wouldn't let him. And she did not let him bring God into their family life. And so even though he was a man of faith, the gospel was never passed on. My grandmother carried that regret, would not receive the forgiveness of the Lord, felt so guilty she tried to commit suicide later that year. Finally died at age 91. As far as I know, she never received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, her three sons never did either until my dad finally did at age 72. But as far as I know, my other two uncles never received the Lord. And so my generation had to rediscover the gospel. And I'm so thankful for those who invested in my life, pastors and friends who were willing to come alongside and pass the kingdom on to me because I never received it in my home. You see, this should be a challenge for us, shouldn't it? David was passive and did not pass on the kingdom. But we are to be intentional about passing on the kingdom. We are called to do that. Passing on the faith is to be a priority for us as believers, especially in a culture like ours where they will not learn the gospel out there in the world. That means that some of the most important ministries in our church are to help you as parents, for example, support you in passing on the faith, but also there's so many ways we can invest in the next generation, in passing on the gospel to friends. Sunday school is such an important ministry. I thank you who are teachers because you are supporting parents in their task of passing on the gospel, passing on the kingdom to the next generation. I thank you who are involved in youth ministry, supporting Jim Brown and his ministry and helping the young men and women who so long for relationship with others and older folks to be discipled. I thank you for investing in them. And I just encourage you to think about it if you feel any tug at all to just go hang out with young adults, young men, young women to consider being part of a ministry like that. Those ministries are so important. Cole Valley Christian School is doing a great job of discipling our young people and passing on the kingdom to them. In fact, all our ministries... Any ministry that gets people together where they're encouraging one another in their faith is a vital, important ministry because we are called to pass on the faith to one another, to be intentional about it. As Paul writes to Timothy in his very last letter, as David Roper liked to say, last words are lasting words. And he says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful others who will be able to teach others also. That's his call. God's call on each one of us is to find ways to pass on the faith, to be intentional about it, to find ways to do that. The second 
principle I see in this passage is that if we are going to pass on the faith, we need to deal with our own garbage. (laughs) Deal with our own garbage. What do I mean by that? I want you to look at verse 5 and 6 in this chapter. It says, Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. Listen to this, verse 6. His father, David, had never at any time displeased him by asking, Why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man, and he was born next after Absalom. Isn't that interesting? David had never at any time displeased him, his own son. Now, I don't know about you, but I think kids are going to have a problem growing up if they don't get displeased by their parents, right? (laughs) A huge part of our job as parents is to shape even break our children's will so they learn to respond to authority, ours and ultimately to God's. We have to displease them if our child's running out into the street. We better find a way to give them some pain (laughs) so they learn to obey our words and not do that. The word here where it says he never displeased him means to cause pain or grief. David never caused pain to Adonijah. Never caused grief. Isn't that interesting? Never disciplined him, apparently. Now, who was Adonijah? Adonijah was David's fourth son, the oldest living son. 2 Samuel tells us the stories of the other sons, most of them. Amnon was the oldest. Do you remember what happened to Amnon? He raped his half-sister, Tamar. And what did David do? Nothing. Nothing. Two years later, Tamar's brother, David's third oldest, now the second oldest, Kiliab, his name disappears, so we assume he died. So Amnon's there. Absalom, the third oldest, brother of Tamar, murders his half-brother, Amnon. What did David do? Nothing. Never stepped into it. Had to be exhorted by Joab to even reach out at all to Absalom, but never never dealt with it. Absalom rebelled against David, went out of his way to build an army to kill David and take over the kingdom, but David's army wins and Absalom gets killed. So those are the first three sons. Here's Adonijah the fourth. And David never, ever crossed him. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) He avoided totally dealing with his sons in all the mess of their lives because he was committed to never cause them any pain. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I go, why is that? What about David made him so averse to stepping into his son's lives? Well, I think we have a a lot of background about David himself that helps us understand what was going on in his heart at that point. As you recall, we first meet David when in 1 Samuel 16, Samuel comes to 
Jesse's family and says, hey, I'm here to anoint one of your son's kings. And Jesse said, well, it's got to be one of my seven sons right here. It's got to be one of these. And Samuel goes down the line, and it's none of the seven. And Samuel says, well, don't you have any other sons? Because it's not one of these. And Jesse says, well, there is the katon, Hebrew word, which means little, but it also is, means insignificant, worthless, the nobody. Yeah, there's the baby out there, the nothing kid out with the sheep. Samuel says, well, we're not going to eat until you bring him in, so bring him in, and he is the one that God has chosen. He gets anointed king. Later, when he's there to fight Goliath, he gets belittled by his older brother, Eliab. You get a hint of how David felt in his family from Psalm 27, where in Psalm 27, as he's seeking to trust the Lord, verse 9 says this, as he cries out to the Lord, he says, Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Verse 10, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. You see, David had this deep wound in his life. He'd been deeply hurt by his family, by his father. He'd been wounded by them. And it appears to me, and again, I I know this is some speculation, but I think there's plenty of evidence in the text that he made essentially a vow and said, I will never hurt my sons the way I was hurt. I will do everything I can to protect them from pain. And instead, he was an absent father and ended up causing far more damage because he never dealt with his own garbage, his own pain, his own woundedness. And it's so... Instead of passing on the faith, he avoided dealing with his sons. You see, if we have wounds and sinful responses in our past, things that have penetrated our hearts, we have to bring them to the surface and deal with them. Otherwise, they'll keep us from being able to truly pass on the faith to our children and to others in our lives. Unacknowledged and unrepented of sin and or weakness and woundedness will continue to do harm to ourselves and to others. For 10 years of my own ministry, because I had never really looked at my own longing for my dad's approval, and I experienced some pain in ministry, I found my life getting narrower and narrower because I was so afraid of being hurt again. And I was not effective as a pastor or as a husband or as a father until I went to a counseling program and went through intense counseling and had to face the connection between all of those and my own woundedness and my hurt and was able to look at that and deal with it and face it and begin to give freely to others instead of protecting myself. James Reeves, our speaker at Men's Retreat last year, said, we all have a pile of garbage we need to deal with. (laughs) And you can't grow spiritually until you do. And he said this, your spiritual maturity will never go beyond your emotional maturity. Your spiritual maturity will never go beyond your emotional maturity. It will hold you back. 
And that's why it's so important that we be not like David and get help, talk to someone, get counseling, whatever, but do something to, to deal with our own emotional wounds and pains because I've seen this principle to be true, not just in my life, but in many, many others that I've dealt with as a pastor. So to pass on the faith, make sure you're growing, you're dealing with the emotional wounds in your own life. A year ago, we started some life change groups in the men's ministry. And the life change materials we use just help you begin to look at your own woundedness and the things in your life so that you can begin to see how they're impacting your spiritual walk with God. And those groups, we've had four or five in the last year, and they have been tremendously impactful. In fact, most of those guys who have been through the group have either been through it again or have stepped out to lead their own groups because they've seen how it's helped them grow spiritually. I hope we'll have more groups, and we'll have groups not just for men but for women as well. But something like that, we need help to deal with our own hearts so we can pass on the faith. Third, what I see in this passage principle is that we can expect external attack. Again, Adonijah, the son of Haggath, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen, 50 men to run before him. Verse 7, he conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they followed Adonijah and helped him. So Adonijah steps up and says, well, David's not doing his thing, so I'm going to step up and I'm going to take the kingdom for myself. I will seize it for myself. Adonijah is everything David is not at this point. He's strong, he's young, he's handsome, he's powerful, he's decisive, he's confident, he's arrogant. The very things the world tends to exalt in a leader right? We want a leader who's going to be confident, who's going to take on the enemy and defeat him. So we put our hope in those kinds of people. Joab, who had been loyal to David for 40 years as his general, turns on him and supports Adonijah. Abiathar, who had been his spiritual advisor, turns on David and supports Adonijah. This is a huge threat to the kingdom being passed on. See, I think by application, don't be surprised if you say, okay, I'm going to start trying to really disciple my kids. I'm going to start reading the scriptures to them. I'm going to start meeting with friends, and here's this person. I'm going to have coffee regularly, and we're going to talk about the scriptures. Don't be surprised if you get all kinds of reasons not to do it. Don't be surprised if you get all kinds of attack holding you back from passing on the kingdom because Satan wants to stop us passing on the faith to others. But when we do step out, God will honor that. God will honor that. It's been surprising to me how much in my 39 years of marriage, how much resistance I find in myself to just simply praying regularly with my wife. For just dumb reasons, right? I'm tired, it's hard, we can't find a time, whatever. And we do it regularly now, but it took a while to kind of 
get to that place for me. And I look back and I go, why was that? Spiritual warfare, brothers and sisters. I have a friend who I started meeting with just to encourage him in the faith, and he encourages me as well. And, but about half the time, he cancels. Well, I'm not feeling well today, so I can't meet. Uh, I didn't get much sleep, so I can't meet. And so about half the time we don't meet. And, you know, that can be hard, but I'm committed to meet with him. Despite the struggle, despite the opposition, despite the difficulty, because I think God's called me to meet with him and pass on the faith. You can expect Satan to try to keep you from talking about Jesus with your kids. You can expect Satan to try to stop you from meeting with a friend, encouraging them, or stepping into Sunday school, or stepping into meeting, working in youth ministry, or whatever it is, because there'll be all kinds of resistance. But our calling is to resist the devil, ask God's protection, and step out. We can expect external attack. Fourth, what I see, finally, David is finally decisive. And it's an encouragement to us to just be decisive. Verse 28, it says, Then King David answered, after Nathan comes to him and Bathsheba comes to him, and Nathan is such a good friend to David, confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba, and now he comes to him again and encourages him, David, it's time to be king. It's time to anoint Solomon. It's time to be the man you're... God's called you to be, and listen to what David does. David answered, call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king swore, saying, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity, as I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me and shall sit on my throne in my place. Even so, I will do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and paid homage to the king and said, May my lord, King David, live forever. And then he decisively plans the whole thing, how Solomon's going to ride on his mule and then they're going to anoint Solomon as king and he will be the new king. He finally steps out. He finally acts to pass on the kingdom to Solomon. You see, it's a challenge for us to just just do it, right? (laughs) To be decisive. If God lays somebody on your heart that maybe you need to meet with regularly just to encourage, give them a call. Set up a coffee date. Do it. Start reading the story Bible with your kids before bedtime or whatever God leads you to do to encourage them and to pass on the faith to them. Step out to teach Sunday school or help with youth ministry or whatever it might be. Look for a way to pass on the faith because it's one of the highest callings we have as believers in Jesus Christ. Ask God to show you who he wants to pass on the faith to. But be decisive. Be decisive. One of my heroes in this church is my friend who loves fishing, loves hunting, loves sports, and so he's chosen to use those to invest in other people. He's taken a number of young men and helped them learn about hunting and fishing. And boy, you get all this time together driving out and coming back and camped out together hunting and going to their sporting events. And he's one of my heroes because he uses what he loves just to invest 
in young men and young women. And he takes older men. He's taken me, too, fishing. Amazing. I, I just think that's what God's called us to do, to simply find ways out of who we are to pass on the faith. We don't have to have it together. We don't have to be more mature. We don't, but just find a way to pass on what God is doing in your life with somebody else. And then finally, final principle I want to highlight here is we can trust God to do his work as we do all this. I really like verse 36 and 37. One of David's generals, Benaiah, who chooses to stay faithful to David. And as Solomon gets anointed king, verse 36, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, answered the king, Amen, may the Lord, the God of my Lord, the king, say so. As the Lord has been with my Lord, the king, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. I love the way he puts everything in God's hands and says, May God make Solomon's kingdom greater than yours, David. The words of Benai are so helpful here because it reminds us that God must work in the other person's life. When we invest in a life, we can't control their response, and it's not up to us. God's the one who's going to work in their lives. You just get together and gossip about Jesus. You just talk about him, and you bring him into the relationship, and you let God work. You build a friendship, speak truth, share your journey of faith along the way, and God will use that in a powerful way. And notice the goal. I love the goal that Benaiah speaks of, that Solomon's kingdom, his throne, would be greater than David's. That should be our goal in every relationship, shouldn't it? To have this person, your child, your friend, whoever, surpass you in the faith. (laughs) And as you intentionally invest in others and deal with your own heart issues, Along the way, sharing your journey, expect spiritual warfare, and you act decisively. Pray that God would take this person beyond where you are. Pray that the other person would be more mature, more godly than you, more useful to God, that their throne might be greater than yours. If that's your goal, God will love to fulfill it. A couple final thoughts. This chapter is a mess of intrigue, of politics, of sinfulness, of self-centeredness, all kinds of stuff. But in the end, God gets the right man on the throne, doesn't he, despite all that? You see, God's in control. God is sovereign. He is the true king. He reigns over all kings. And in a world that we often get caught up in the political situation going on, we need to be reminded that God's in control of governments, working out his will. All authority has been given to Jesus, so let's trust in Jesus as our true king. And as we walk through life, let's pass on the kingdom. Let's not be a David, a passive David, just sitting back and doing nothing out of fear. Let's not be an Adonijah who says, the world's all about me. (laughs) I'm going to build my own kingdom. But let's be a Nathan who came along David's side when he most needed it at his most critical times of life and challenged him. David, it's time. David, let me walk with you. Let me stick by you 
And let me encourage you to be all that God created you to be, David. And as we do so, God will use us to pass on the kingdom. It's a high calling, brothers and sisters, to pass on the kingdom to the next generation. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the challenge, the opportunity that you've given us to be used by you to pass on the kingdom. In a world that doesn't want us to do that, Lord, help us stay true to you. Follow you as the true king, and as we do so, may we speak the truth. May we live out the truth in a way that others are encouraged to walk with you. Use us, Lord, to pass on the kingdom in whatever sphere you have us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.